Well, welcome everybody. We are glad that you are able to be with us. Uh, our brother Jeremy is in Woodward about now, I think, uh, delivering a message there. So we're very grateful that they've asked him to come and fill in there this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us online uh, or tuning in online, we're grateful to have you and uh, thank you for joining us. And I hope if you are, if this is your first time at Wilshire, that you will stay after this worship service and join us in a time of fellowship. It's good fellowship. It often comes accompanied with carbohydrates, which makes it extra good fellowship. And we are nice people, so we hope we can do that and then maybe stay for our Bible classes after that as well. About three weeks ago, uh, Yodi went down to Texas to go to the funeral of one of her very favorite uh, uncles, her uncle AJ. He had passed about a week earlier, and I wasn't able to go with her, but she said she learned a story about him that she had never heard in her entire life. When I was in high school, and probably you guys experienced this too, we had guys who sort of souped up their cars in various ways, and, and many of them did things to their exhaust system to make the car sound louder. So when they would step on the gas, you'd get this big roar and rumble, make it sound like they had a much bigger engine in there than they really did. And that's just a way of showing off, and you know, when you're 18, that's kind of a cool thing to do. But uh, it turns out Uncle AJ, when he was a teenager, had taken that a step or two farther. That was back when cars had carburetors. He had adjusted his uh, mix so that it was uh, really rich, a lot of unburnt fuel going through there. And he had put two spark plugs in the exhaust pipe, and he had it wired up so that when he felt like it, he could goose it and hit the spark plugs that were in the exhaust pipe and literally shoot flames out of his exhaust. That'll get people's attention when you're going through the drive-through, let me tell you. Which apparently was the whole point. You know, we all do things to show off sometimes. Sometimes we're not too proud of it. Sometimes we're very proud of it. And when we get to the passage we're going to look at today, we're doing this whole thing through the book of 1 Corinthians. When we get to the passage we're going to look at today, I want you to keep in mind that tendency human beings have to show off. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14 is one big section where Paul is trying to help the Corinthians understand the spiritual gifts they've been given. They've been given a lot of spiritual gifts. Some of the spiritual gifts are miraculous spiritual gifts. Some of them are the more normal kind of spiritual gifts. And, but they've been blessed enormously. In fact, that's, it's such a big deal that if you go back to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, that's one of the things Paul mentions about the Corinthian church. God has blessed you with every spiritual gift. He, he's kind of bragging on the fact that God has chosen to give them so much of this manifestation of the Holy Spirit. But unfortunately, this tendency to show off had taken over the way that the Corinthians were handling 
these gifts from God, these gifts from the Holy Spirit. This tendency to show off had become a way uh, to twist the meaning of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So that now, if I have a gift of healing or the gift of uh, tongue speaking or, you know, the gift of interpretation or whatever, that becomes all about me. And it turns out when we get to chapter 14, we'll see how that plays out in practice. People were standing up and insisting their prophecy be heard. And if you're in the middle of prophesying, you need to be quiet or I'll just talk over you. I'll try and we'll have shouting matches going on in the church. You can imagine how that would be. If uh, while I was preaching, we had three other preachers show up and, and everybody wanted to be heard, that would be a little awkward, right? Right? Yeah, okay, I think it would be awkward, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't like it. I, and I, like, I have the microphone, but still, it would still be hard to do. Paul says, I want you to understand some things about spiritual gifts. And he launches into what we now divide into chapters 12, 13, and 14 in your Bible of 1 Corinthians. And a key principle is what he lays down in verses 12 and 13. So if you have your Bibles, look at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13. For just as the body has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. That's a deep theological principle. He makes a very similar point in Galatians. He makes that point in other places as well. The idea that what happens to you as a Christian when you are baptized and everything that goes along with becoming a Christian by baptism, what happens to you trumps everything else. Your loyalty to Jesus Christ and his church now becomes the number one loyalty in your life. It becomes your number one association. It becomes the most important fact about you. On the day of judgment, the number one thing anybody's going to be asking about anybody is, are you part of Jesus Christ? Are you baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? That's going to be the thing that matters about human beings. And Paul says it is so important that the petty divisions we have, Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, in Galatians he says, uh, rich and poor, things like that, male and female even. He says those kind of things that we fight about, they just don't matter compared to what it means, what it is that happened to you when you were taken by Jesus, buried in his blood, essentially, in those waters of baptism. And this passage says, buried in his spirit in that moment too, and raised up into a new life. You are given to this new thing that he's created. Now here, as in other places, Paul uses an image. He says, what is it you've been added to? Some places he says it's the church. Some places he says it's the kingdom. 
What does he say here in verses 12 and 13? We've all been made members or parts, pieces of the one body. We've all been made members of the one body of Christ. Christ has taken scattered, divided humans and forged a new body for himself through baptism. It's such a persistent image in Paul, and it shows up one other place as well, that this is a key way we understand who we are as Christians. We are now the body of Christ. And, and although that's metaphorical, of course, it's more than a metaphor. You know, some things are, they have more reality than just a poetical image. And this one is one of those that has a little more reality than just a metaphor. Here's what I mean by that. If you had been one of the disciples with Jesus in the upper room or listening to what he said on the day and night that he was betrayed, you wouldn't have liked what you were hearing. If we look at the extended discussion, especially in the Gospel of John, starting in John chapter 13 and running all the way through chapter 17, Jesus says, I have to go away. That's what's coming. I have to leave. And then he says, and it's good that I go. It's good that I go away. If you'd been there, would you have thought that was good? Jesus was leaving? Jesus, who you believed is the Son of God? Jesus, who you believed is God's anointed King? He's leaving us? When uh, my son James, Taylor's older brother James, was about two, we were visiting Yodi's dad's house, and he had to go run an errand, and we were still there. And so he handed the keys to me and Yodi. And he said, so I'm going to leave my keys with you while I go. And then when you're ready, you can lock up. And James was only two, but he looked very seriously at my father-in-law and said, do you think that's wise? <laughs> I'm not kidding. This is a piece of our family lore. Do you think that's wise? And, and I can imagine if I had been one of the apostles of Jesus on the night that Jesus was betrayed, I would have do you think that's what, leaving us on our own, Jesus? Seriously, you think this is a good idea? He says, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be even better. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And if we put that with, together with this, it means my Holy Spirit is going to turn you into a body that is better than the body I'm in right now. That's the way Jesus is describing it. I don't know, Jesus' body was pretty cool. We could walk on water. We can't walk on water. Unless it's water skiing and that doesn't count. It's better that I go so I can send the comforter to be with you. 
Do you know what? If you think about it, this is why I think this is more than a metaphor. The body of Jesus Christ has many advantages over the body that Jesus had while he was walking around on earth. How many languages did the body of Jesus Christ that lived on earth speak? Well, we know he spoke Aramaic. We believe he knew and could quote Hebrew. And there's a good possibility he could speak Greek, at least some Greek. So three, how many languages does the body of Christ now speak? I don't know about you, but I've, I've heard the gospel proclaimed, at least that's what I was told was being proclaimed, in many languages around the world. And some of you have as well. Just this morning, communion talks like the one that Ethan just gave were given all around the world before the sun got to us. And they continue on until we hit the international dateline. How many people did Jesus feed while he was alive? Well, 5,000 guys and there were probably, maybe there were women and children there too. And, and then another time it was 4,000. So 9,000, and he went to a lot of parties. He probably shared some food there. So let's, we can round it up. It's fine, 10,000. How many people has the body of Christ since then fed? I don't even think we know. How many people who were hurting have been helped and ministered to by the body of Christ? How many people have had the gospel preached to them since Jesus ascended into heaven by this new body that Jesus has formed through his spirit? I don't think it's just a metaphor. And Christian, the reason why I think that's important, I think you need to understand what a big deal you are to God. What a big deal it is that you have chosen to let God include you in this new incarnation, this new body of Christ on earth. And what a big deal it is that you are able to contribute what you have into this larger whole that's able to do the work of Christ on earth right now. That's a big deal. And it's something worth remembering and meditating on as you go through the various trials and things that we all go through. Now, Paul makes a couple of other points that I think are really significant and are helpful to us. Look up at verse 4, if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, and follow along with me. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of services, but the same Lord's, and there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who activates them in everyone. To each is given the manifest, manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And just to emphasize that, look down at verse 11. All of these, and he's kind of listed a bunch of spiritual gifts that the Corinthian church was experiencing. All of these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. There's all kinds of variety, 
Where does that variety come from? You have this gift, I have that gift, this person has the other gift. Where does all of that variety come from, according to Paul? It's all as the Holy Spirit chooses. It's all for the purpose of the common good. Verse 7. You get it? The gifts of the Spirit are given to the church, not to the individual. They are given to the church by means of the individual Christian. Whatever it is that God has given you to do for the church, I think ordinary spiritual gifts continue to this day. I think miraculous sign type gifts probably don't, but, but ordinary gifts go on, like the ones that are mentioned in Romans 12, for instance. And whatever it is that God has given you to do, that's given through you to the body of Christ for the building up, for the common good of the church. We have some wonderful teachers in here. We have some people who are excellent at understanding the word of God and making it clear. We have some wonderful administrators in this congregation. We have people who are excellent with people. They are, they are very empathetic and they're able to make sense of what's going on in people's moods. We have people who are outstanding, particularly with young children. That is not a gift I have been given. I can make young children laugh and after about 10 minutes, I'm, I'm out of tricks, you know. We have people who are brilliant. I mean, they think about it, and they're, they're gifted in that. I think those are gifts. And, and the Holy Spirit built those up in various ways in different people, but they are gifts you have for the church. Given to make the church stronger. And it is a powerful, powerful thing when you are able to use your gifts for that purpose. That the body of Christ be built up. Paul makes that point as he goes on with this illustration. Look down in verse 14. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand... I don't belong to the body. That wouldn't make it any less part of the body. If the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That wouldn't make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? As it is, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But there's no dissension. But that there may be no dissension 
But God has so arranged the body, given the greater honor to the inferior members, that there may be no dissension within the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. I'm going to read that last verse again. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. How many of you have ever had a toothache that you didn't notice? Anybody? A headache that just passed you by? No. That's what it means to be a body. One part of my body's unhappy, I'm unhappy. And the way the church is meant to function, the way we are being drawn together to the extent we let the Holy Spirit pull us, is when I know you're suffering, I am concerned about it. That just happens. That's what the Holy Spirit draws us towards. That's just a natural thing. And it is what you were built for. Imagine a movie scene. The music gets all violin-y. That's, that's the closest I can think of to romantic music. You know, kind of violins come in pretty strong. And uh, people's eyes get kind of misty. The couple looks deep into each other's eyes. And, and one of them says to the others, I don't even feel like my life started until I found you. That's good stuff. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. I know what they're talking about. The fact is, <laughs> it is not good for humans to be alone. We are built to be together. God built us to be in community. He built us to work with each other. I'm not talking about romantic together. I'm just talking about we are built for society, which is why he doesn't save us individually. He saves us to be part of his body, his church, his community. And your highest happiness is frequently going to be those moments when you find yourself getting lost in what you're doing for those around you. For the explicit church or for those that you can be the hands and feet of Jesus to help in some way, those are going to be your greatest moments. Those times when God is really flowing through you, when the spirit of God's gift is just pushing right through you, those are also the times of your greatest blessing. Which sport in America gets watched more? Marathons or football? Football, thank you, and you're correct. If I had a gold star, I'd give you one. And, and that's true, we could go individual sport versus team sport all day long, we like team sports more. And the reason is human beings know deep in ourselves 
that the most exciting things for humans is when people with different abilities and different ways to contribute come together and make something that's greater than the sum of the parts. And you know that, even if your brain doesn't know it yet, you know that. And the greatest thing about you right now are the ways in which you are using the gifts that you've been given to further the ends of Jesus Christ on this earth, to serve the body of Christ, to serve the needs of the world as a member of the body of Christ. That's the greatest thing about you, the gifts that you've been given to do that. On the day of judgment, we all stare God in the face and God looks over the record of our lives. What parts of your life will shine the brightest? I'm telling you, the things that will jump out in the record about you are the times when the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, was flowing through you to be a blessing as a member, a part of the body of Christ, giving the gift that you have out into the body of Christ, into the church, or into the world. Those are going to be the bright, shining moments on the day of judgment. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for the fact that we are different and diverse, but that you bind us together into this community. God, thank you so much that you give different people different abilities and gifts and that you lead us to express ourselves in service to your congregation, to your world. God, help us to welcome you as you flow through us to be a blessing. Help us to be those people. These things we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. If you need to respond to God's invitation, if you need prayers or help, or if you are ready to receive baptism and begin this walk, we invite you to come forward and tell us what we can do for you as we stand in a lead in song.